Well, if you're new with us, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I have the joy to open up God's word with you. We are in a series through the book of Genesis. Right now, we're in a sub-series on the life of... Jacob, wonderful, wonderful. Now, uh, I want to play a game with you this morning. Humor me. Here's the game. You are a detective. Uh, ideally, you're a very good detective, and your job is to discern. Here it is. Ready? In this story, who is the good guy and who is the bad guy? In this story, who is the good guy, who is the bad guy? Towards the end of this, we're going to have a pop quiz. You're going to be judged because you're going to tell the person next to you what you think the answer is. And if you win, you get something that I love to call brownie points. They're very valuable. Um, and uh, if you turn them in to me, uh, I will give you more brownie points. It's just a self-fulfilling, wonderful thing. So there's going to be a quiz at the end. So open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 27. To begin, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you how the story ends. Verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently. Verse 34, Esau cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry about Jacob. Verse 38, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Verse 41, now Esau hated Jacob. Verse 41, Esau said to himself, I will kill my brother Jacob. Verse 46, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life. What could possibly have gone wrong that by the time we get to the end of this story, this is going to be the fallout and this is going to be the conclusion. So let's get some context. Genesis, it's a book about origins. It's a book about beginnings. It actually tells us the story of the beginnings of the things that are the most important to the heart of God. So you have the beginning of creation. You have the beginning of humanity, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of sexuality, all these things that are very emotional to God. But uh, do you know it takes up the vast amount of real estate in the book of Genesis when it pertains to beginnings? the nation of Israel. In fact, from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to the end of the book, in fact, the story of the origins of the nation of Israel go all the way through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In fact, all throughout the Torah or the Pentateuch or the law, that's what the first five books are called. It's the story of the origin of the nation of Israel, which is very near and dear to God's heart. The nation of Israel was birthed in Genesis 12 through... Abraham, good, one of you got it, I love it. Some of you are like, is it Abraham? Genesis 12, it's Abraham. Now here's an easy one for you. Abraham's son was Isaac, and Isaac's son was Jacob. These are called the patriarchs. They are the leaders, the first of the nation of Israel. Last week, let's bring you up to speed, Isaac had two sons. The first son, his name was Lovely, he's the firstborn, which came with enormous cultural privileges. We're going to get to that. The second born was Jacob. And Jacob was a grappler, a fighter from inside the womb. He fought constantly with his brother in the womb. And even as they're coming out, Jacob is grabbing the heel of Esau, who would go first, as if to say, I want to go first. I want all the blessings. I want to win. And for the rest of this guy's life, he is going to be a grappler and a fighter. And so here's what happens in Genesis chapter 27. We're about to eavesdrop on one of the most important moments, if not the most important moment, in two men's lives. A father is going to set in motion 
an ancient ritual. That would be the culmination of his life's purpose. A son is about to receive an inheritance, which was actually way more than just money, stuff, land, and property. What the son was going to receive was his father's approval, finally, and he's going to receive blessings from his heavenly father. And these things are going to be sure and certain because in the old covenant in the nation of Israel, particularly with the patriarchs, when a father gave his blessing, it was like a a prophetic word that would ring true over the son's life. This son is about to receive his future. He's going to hear the story of what the rest of his life is going to look like. And this father is going to take his favorite son and he's going to enact this ritual and so will be the next generation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's look at verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Isaac his older son and he said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, listen to this, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, if you're going to understand anything in Genesis chapter 27, you need to understand the difference between a birthright and a blessing. So let's just take a a look at the screen, and we're going to separate these for you. The birthright means double the inheritance, and it is given to the firstborn. And so in this culture, in this time, you wanted to be first. Hence, when Esau came out first, Jacob was grappling his heel as if to say, no, I want the birthright. From the very beginning of Jacob's life, he wanted this birthright. It came with extra money, extra responsibility, authority. You were responsible for the family, particularly when the patriarch dies, responsible for the estate, and you would carry on the family name. Now, here's the deal. Typically, uh, Isaac, the father of these two boys, would wait. But in chapter 25, Jacob stole the birthright, if you will, tricked, deceived, manipulated from Esau, the birthright. And so here's Jacob, or Isaac. Isaac is the dad. Isaac is supposed to be giving the birthright to Esau, but he's stuck. So here's what Isaac says. Jacob might get the birthright, But I'm still going to give my firstborn the blessing. And here's what comes with the blessing. These are separate things. While a birthright belonged to the firstborn son, anybody could receive the blessing. It's like a last will and testament. It's highly prized as a means of revealing God's will. It's like a prophetic word being spoken over your life that would absolutely necessarily come true. So in theory, what could have actually happened is is, uh, Esau could have gotten the birthright, but then the blessing could have gone to Jacob, right? And so they're not always going together, but ideally in this culture, the two are going to go together. And one author said this, it's an act, the blessing, through which specific and concrete advantages are conveyed. Now, it's a little confusing, but it's as simple as this. One is a right to actual property. The other is a prophetic blessing about the future. And ideally, in most circumstances, the two would go together. And so here's here's what Isaac the dad says. Well, Jacob's got the birthright. Doggone it, I'm going to give Esau. I'm going to give Esau the blessing. And this is what they're fighting for. Jacob already has the birthright. But Jacob is a grappler. And is Jacob content with just the birthright? 
Jacob wants the blessing. You're going to see the word blessing come up multiple, multiple, multiple times. This whole chapter is about who is going to get the blessing. Who's going to get a prophetic promise from God about their future where it's all going to be good and wonderful? Who's going to get this? You could describe the birthright in one word, power. Jacob is gone for the power. And you can also describe the blessing in one word, and it is advantages. And here's what Jacob wants. I want the power I want all the advantages. I want it all. I'm going to leave my brother Esau with nothing. Now, I want to remind you of what happened last week. Because there is a a prophecy that was given over um, Jacob. These are a lot of names here. I'm going to get them all right in my brain. There's a prophecy over Jacob that was given to his mother before they were ever born. So what we saw last week is, number one, that Esau foolishly sold his birthright to Jacob. But here's what we also saw, number two, in Genesis 25, 23. Here's the prophecy. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. I want you to hear me. This is about blessing. And so there is a prophecy over Jacob's life that he should get the blessing. Now, you're going to watch this pan out. It's all a little weird, and it's very short statements, but you're going to watch this. This is fundamentally about blessing, and that's going to happen. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 27, verse 5. Here's what's going on. Rebecca... She's listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So why is, why is Rebecca eavesdropping? I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons. Number one, Rebecca knows God's word from Genesis chapter 25. Rebecca knows this. The blessing is supposed to go to Jacob, the younger brother, not Esau. Rebecca, Rebecca also knows this. She knows that her husband is intent I'm giving the blessing to the other brother, Esau. There's what God wants. Rebecca knows it. And there's what Jacob, there's what Isaac wants, which is to give it to the other brother. Here's third. She also knows that once Isaac gives the blessing to Esau, it's done. There are no redos. It's like the Olympics. Once it's given, there is no undoing this thing. It is a one-time thing, once for all, no second chances. Let's, Let's rehash the characters. You have the dad, Isaac. The wife, the mother, Rebecca. They have two sons, Esau, the oldest, and Jacob. Esau's supposed to get it all. Jacob wants it all, and Jacob will do anything to get it. Let's watch this unfold, verse 5. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and to bring it, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. This is what... Isaac is saying to his son Esau, now moms, I have a question for you. What would you do if your husband was about to disobey God? I want you to, I want you to catch this. God gave a prophetic word that Jacob, the younger, would get the blessing. Isaac likes Esau better, so he's ignoring the word, and he's going to give the blessing to Esau. Moms, You're watching your husband about to disobey God's word. What do you do? Do you um, you remember the phrase helicopter parenting? So I'll tell you a funny story about helicopter parenting. There is a new phrase, actually, that is taking over with younger millennial parents. It's called lawnmower parenting. (laughs) Egg hunt. Extravaganza, my apologies. 2017, four to six-year-old field. Let me tell you what happens. 
we let all the kids go at the same time and foolishly allowed moms and dads, mostly moms, to go with their kids into the hunt. Moms are pushing over kids. Kids are face down crying, right? Kids come out, I didn't get any eggs. This is a nightmare, right? Bartlett area moms are forced to be reckoned with, right? They're online, my kid didn't get anything. I don't know this egg hunt, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is wrong with these parents? Like they will shove other children and then they are bringing in like big garbage bags and they're getting as many eggs as they can. I'm like, this is straight up weird. We went from, hey, do you got enough eggs? You got enough eggs? I'm going to hover over your life to get out of my son's way, right? Like, this is crazy. Now we go to Extravaganza 2019. Our genius team decided that this, I mean, positively genius, that they would create a, a waiting area before, for the kids before moms and dads could come in. And there's all these moms like, please let me go in. They can't go without me. I'm like, go to the toddler field. They're going to be fine. This is a no parent zone. Did they listen? We had to have security inside of there to get them out, right? And I'm like, come on. So we let all the four to six-year-olds go, no moms and dads, mostly moms, no moms and dads whatsoever in this hunt. And we think we have resolved the lawnmower parenting problem in the four to six-year-old egg hunt. And then there is the exit. And in the exit is about a 10-foot space where all the kids would come out. Moms are pushing other kids out of the way, pushing other parents, give me my kid! And I'm like, everybody, chill out. Like, these parents were intent on lawn mowing other kids and parents so they could get their kids. It was insane. So I'm sitting here with the microphone, and I have parent after parent. I have all these parents, whatever. And I say, hey, moms and dads, listen, I know you want to go in there with your kids. Let me tell you a story. I told them this story about two years ago. And here's what happened. Half the moms go, yep, totally, yep. The other half just stare at me. <laughs> and I'm like, helicopter moms, lawnmower moms, there's the difference, right? The, they didn't even see it in themselves and all the lawnmower moms went across. I mean, moms, you can get this, can you not? Like there's something intuitively where you're like, you're gonna literally get in the way of a promise that God made to my son, who do you think you are? All the mama bear intuition and instinct is coming alive in Rebecca right now. Here's the moral. There have always been overzealous and controlling mothers, for what it's worth. All right. The dads aren't lawnmowers. I'm going to be honest. Maybe at school they are, but at the acons, it was always the moms. Verse 8. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them delicious, prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. She knows exactly what's going to make Isaac happy. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. And Jacob is like a logical man. And he says, but Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, behold, my brother Esau, he's a hairy man. And I'm a smooth man. Like, oh, impossible, and I love Rebecca. Rebecca's like, there is no deception of which I cannot succeed in. Uh, <laughs> Perhaps my father, he says, will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. In the blessing, by the way, it could actually end up being a curse. And if the father curses the son, that curse is going to be binding. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Go Bring them to me. My question for you, is Rebecca a hero or a villain? Is Rebecca the good guy or the bad guy? On the one hand, she's fighting for God's word, and she's lawn mowing the future of her son Jacob. 
On the other hand, she is deceiving and manipulating her husband. Which one is she? Now go back, go back to, to chapters, Genesis 25. I'll put it on the screen for you. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite. Hittites, no bueno. I'm going to tell you why. Go to Genesis, next slide. Hittites were Canaanites. They're people from the land. You do not, under any circumstances, ever, if you're an Israelite, marry a Canaanite. Never. A Hittite was just a, a version of a Canaanite. They are grotesque, vile people who worship false gods and lead the people of God astray. So even before this whole incident is happening, Esau has already married one, no, two Hittite women. The next woman, the other was Basemath. She's the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And here's what happens in verse 35 of Genesis 25. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. There's another motivation here, which is, if you are given the blessing and you are given authority over the whole household, that means this. When this blessing is given, okay, Isaac the dad is no longer in control. Esau is. And these foreign pagan women are going to be Rebecca's master. Is she protecting herself and her future? Is she protecting her son? Is she protecting God's word? Is she the hero or the villain? Verse 14, it goes on. So he went. And he took them and he brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Like this is orchestration, by the way. Like ladies, have you ever made a big, huge, delicious meal from actual animals that were just killed? Have you ever had like slaughter animals, skin them, gut them, cook them, clean them, etc.? And then you have to take the skins, clean them, and then you got to put them on your side. This is like a laborious process. The amount of decisions that have to be made between the idea and the implementation are unnerving and innumerable. Verse 17, and she put the delicious food and the bread, by the way, homemade bread. Not only that, but she homemade bread. This is great. I want to eat this food. Which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob, verse 18. So he went into his father and said, my father... And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? It's, the, the words are hilarious. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your first, firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. I mean, it's just, this is all stupid. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. I got to remember, Isaac is blind. He's very old and he thinks he's about to die. And you, you get the idea that maybe possibly some of his mental faculties aren't 100% and so they're taking advantage of him. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, this is, this is one of the most frustrating lines in the Bible. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. This line is so frustrating. So he blessed him. The culminating moment of his life. Now what happens in verse 24 is we're going to get a little bit of an explanation about how this unfolded. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am? <laughs> Here's what you're going to find. 
these stories are, are, are here for a few reasons. One is they tell us the story of how we got Jesus ultimately, but they're also individually, they stand on their own as a mirror. And when you look at Jacob, you're not supposed to say, I know someone like that. What you're supposed to say is, I'm in here. This, to a degree, I'm capable of this. And so this is just one of those questions where I put it out there and we let the Holy Spirit just do what he wills. Where are you being or have been a Jacob? Verse 25, then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. In fact, the text seems to imply that in the middle of all of this discussion is a lot of alcohol that is numbing the wisdom and the senses of Isaac. Verse 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him, and he said, now this is the time for the actual blessing. Every single thing I'm about to read to you was intended to be Esau's. See the smell of my son as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven. This is a symbol for ease of life. And of the fatness of the earth, a metaphor for overflowing wealth. And plenty of grain and wine, a life where nothing is lacking. Let peoples serve you. Not just one, peoples serve you. And nations bow down to you. This is power is being bestowed to him. Be Lord over your brothers. This is authority. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. This is respect. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And this is God's favor. As soon as Isaac had finished the blessing, uh, blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food. He brought it to his father, and he said to his father, he must be full, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. We just have to take a moment here and appreciate and experience the emotional pendulum swing you're about to observe. This might be one of the greatest, most disappointing letdowns a human could experience. This was supposed to be the greatest day of Esau's life. This is what every son wanted. This is what Esau dreamed to receive. The affirmation and the blessing of his earthly father, as well as his heavenly father, his father's estate, his wealth, his name, his opulence, authority over his brother who took advantage of him and his mother who loved him second. If you are Isaac at this point, you have one blessing to give again with no redos. Verse 32, his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently. Assign an emotion to this. Because for most of us, we're going to read our own emotional climate into this story. Let me give you a few. Shock at the depth of betrayal. Fear. What else is Jacob the deceiver capable of? Regret. 
What have I done to my favorite son Esau? Anger. How could Jacob do this to me? Verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently and he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. And, and this is this line where it's, it's almost as if Isaac realizes the finality of what has already happened. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Like it's, it's gone. I've got nothing left for you. And verse 34 says, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is, it not rightly na- is he not rightly named Jacob? which means literally heel grabber, but metaphorically it's a common word for deceiver. Jacob has Jacobed me, for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he says again to his father Isaac, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Is there nothing left? Isaac answered and he said, behold, I made him Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. I mean, the next line to me is like the saddest in the whole book, in the whole chapter. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered. He said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. There's the blessing. You will have nothing. You will struggle. You'll be at war. One day, you will get so frustrated, you will finally break away from him, and you will run. Like, what a blessing. Verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. There's a a phrase. I didn't make it up. Uh, Somebody else said it, and they probably heard it from somebody else. Hurt people hurt people. I'm, I'm talking about Isaac, or I'm talking about Esau right now. And it's, it's very interesting. In the midst of our pain and our hurt, There is this sinful impulse of retaliation, isn't there? And and you just got to understand this. Like, this is a man in deep pain. Now, here's the question. Is Esau a good guy or a bad guy? What would you do? Like, do you empathize with him more? Or are you like, how could you be so angry, Esau? And, And remember, this is a cutthroat world. This is a very different time than now. There's no police who's going to arrest you. 
This, this is normal. When you betray somebody on such deep levels, you ask the question, is he the good guy or is he the bad guy? And here's how the story, story begins to end. Verse 42. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she, Rebekah, sent and she called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now Jacob is, Esau is just talking about, I'm going to kill my brother, I'm going to kill my brother. Like word is spreading that Esau is going to kill Jacob. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother and Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Would you ever forget? Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? I want to ask, I want to ask two big questions, and then we'll get to some so what's. Question number one. Why is Rebecca doing all this? Like, I, I know the story is about Jacob. We're going we're gonna to pick this story up in multiple chapters coming up in the future. But the, I can't shake Rebecca here. Why, why is she doing this? And, and, and I do. I just have so much empathy for her. And I think there's a couple reasons. Here's one. Because she knew God's word. Now, I'm not justifying any of her behavior. I'm just empathizing. That's all I'm doing. She knew what God wanted. And God's word gave her hope. And that hope was about to be dashed if Jacob didn't get the blessing. Here's the second reason. Because she's self-preserving. Like, I don't know. That doesn't feel admirable. She doesn't want her life to be any more miserable because she raised a son who married Hittite women. And I get it. You do not want a bunch of pagans who hate you being Lord and Master now over your life in the final years of your life. Look at how, look at how Genesis 27 ends, verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now here's another question I want to ask. Now don't, whoever's on pro presenter, don't put up the answer yet, Okay. How old do you think these boys are? Let's just, you don't have to be right. This is a time when it's very okay to be wrong. Don't tell me what you think I think the right answer is, okay? I want you to just maybe shout out a number. In your brain, when you think about this story, how old are these boys? 60s, 40s, 30s, whatever. In, how much? 13? 16? Yeah? Yeah? In my head, let me be candid, right? I've never looked up their ages until this week. Craig and I were like hunting it down. We're like, how old are these guys? In my head, they're 17 to 23, right? They're still like not done with adolescence yet because they're acting like such children, right? 70 years old. All right, let's finish our detective game. <laughs> Look at the person next to you. Who's the good guy? Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau. God's not, no, no, God didn't, didn't say a word in this story. Genesis 27. He showed up in 25, but not in 27. I asked our worship team, and they're like, <laughs> Renee goes, Jesus. And I'm like, oh, that's technically right, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Got it? All right, who's the bad guy? Ready for it? 
no one's the good guy. Did you get it? Some of you are like, yeah, no. (laughs) Isaac drops the ball on his responsibilities, neglects God's word, plays favorites with his kids. Rebecca plots against her husband, helps her son deceive him, is self-preserving. Jacob steals, lies, deceives, is willing to betray family for power. Esau is a bitter man, intent on murder, negligent at best with regards to the sacred things like birthrights, which brings us to our so what's. Who won in this story, by the way? I'm looking at this, and I'm like, it doesn't feel like anybody wins. But here's the first so what. Sometimes the bad guys win. If you're Esau, who's the bad guy? Jacob. If you are Rebecca, who's the bad guy? Esau, Isaac. If you're Isaac, who's the bad guy? Everybody. (laughs) Here's a conundrum. If you're Jacob, who's the bad guy? Yeah, you would hope, right? He's doing like this with the mirror. He's like, everybody look in the mirror. Ah, you know? Ironically, in Jacob's brain, his older brother is the bad guy. His older brother hasn't done anything to him. He's already stolen from him. It's like, come on, man. Sometimes the bad guys win. And and, and this is is the, the reality of this. I ask, at what cost is it worth winning? I mean, look at this. That's the fallout. When bad guys win, there's just pain everywhere. Number two, even when the bad guys win, God is 10 steps ahead. I just want to give you village church and say, trust him. God made a prophecy 70 years before this that said, the older is going to serve the younger. And what happened? The older is going to serve the younger. Now, was all the fallout necessary? I'm just going to tell you no. The path between today and whatever God is going to do, as we said last week, can be miserable or joyful. Unfortunately, we can even choose a joyful path, but the people around us, they could be like Jacob, and they can choose a terrible path and make our life miserable. I mean, if if you're Rebecca, and your son leaves, and he marries two pagan Canaanite women who make your life miserable, you might be doing everything right your whole life, being a woman of integrity, and and then your son, whom you raised and birthed, turns around and does that to you. You could be doing everything right, and it can still come back to you. But at the end of the day, we stop and we just say, all this crazy, it's not necessary, but it's here. But here's what I know. The script of God, the will of God, the agenda of God will never be thwarted. He's never like, oh no, I didn't see him coming out of the womb grabbing his heel. Oh wow, like, Rebecca, you're tricking your husband Isaac. Like, he, he could have stopped it at any moment. He could have. Therein is a quandary that I have a lot of questions for God. Why didn't you blank? Number three. How low are you willing to go to secure your script? Again, Jacob is a mirror. This is a question 
that I just put out and I say, Holy Spirit, you do whatever you have to do. We could give illustration after illustration, globally, historically, etc. in the Bible, all these people grappling for power, I get it. And this is where the, the, the mirror gets turned back and it just says, how low, Michael, are you willing to go to secure your script? And I get to a point where I get to the end of this and I am assigning blame. Ah, I can't believe he did, I can't believe he did. And, and here's the reality. There's a Rebecca in me. There's an Isaac in me. There's an Esau in me. And this is the hardest one, is there's a Jacob in, in me. And this is where I say, thank God for Jesus. There's an old, old theological question. And it goes like this. How were Old Testament saints' sins forgiven? Did everyone in the story need redemption and forgiveness? And the answer is yes. What I love about the blood of Christ is that it's retroactive and proactive. It goes backwards in time and forwards in time. It's transcendent. The book of Revelation says, Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. It's this interesting cosmic reality where the Old Testament saints, they didn't understand crucifixion, the cross, that God was going to become flesh. Those were all, we'll just say, things veiled that they didn't quite have eyes to see. But here's what they knew. Forgiveness would only come through God's provision. And they believed. They didn't have everything crystal clear. They just didn't. I'd love to say it. They knew God was going to become flesh and he was going to die on the cross and be sinless and rise on the third day and his name was going to be Yeshua. Like, I wish they knew that. They just didn't know that. In retrospect, we look back and we see now the clarity of all the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, but they didn't have that. They looked forward to Christ and the blood of Christ would go back and cover the sins of all who trusted in him. We live on this side of the cross. We don't look forward to Jesus. We look backwards. We look backwards to the cross and we realize that the very same shedding of blood that Jacob, Isaac, Rebecca, and Esau all needed for the cleansing of their sins, we need the exact same thing. We look back and now we have on this side of the cross the fulfillment of all the prophecies in Jesus Christ, God becoming flesh, living a perfect sinless life. We have all the prophecies about the suffering servant from Isaiah who would bear on his body and his soul and his emotions the iniquities of the people of God. We now see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a cosmic declaration that the sacrifice has been accepted. The same shed blood that you needed is the same one that they needed. And all the people of God, from Adam all the way to the very last person who will be born before Jesus Christ comes back, it's the same Jesus, it's the same blood, and we're looking at this, and here's my question. I get to the end of 27, and I'm like, how are they ever going to be made right with God? And the answer is just Jesus. And so we read these stories, and we have the whole story, do we not? We get to look at the whole panorama of history, and we get to come back and just be reminded that we have a Savior because we are just like them. And so Village Church, what we do every week is we celebrate communion to instill this in our brains. Sometimes we love to read these narratives and be like, I would never be like them. I am so amazing. How could they do that? And every single week, I want to stop that and bring you back to the cross and say, you are them and they are you. And we all need Jesus. And so the, the time of communion is an opportunity to bring all of us to level ground and say, we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And I got to tell you, when I'm preparing this sermon and Craig and I at Village Church East are preparing this together, swapping notes, it is really easy for us to be judgmental and condemning of every single one of the bad guys in this story. And, but the Spirit just kept pressing back on us, you're the bad guy. I'm like, oh, 
Good to know. Not my narrative. (laughs) And so we come to the cross, and for everyone who's believed in Jesus, I have good news for you. You are a Jacob, and you are welcome to partake of communion if you've trusted in Jesus. And as you partake of these elements, here's the declaration over you. You are an imperfect sinner who's been cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Christ, just like every other imperfect sinner who is going to make their way to heaven one day. Some of you are here and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ and communion is weird for you and you're wondering, do I partake of these elements? I don't believe this. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to stick out. I get it. If you're new with us and you've never trusted in Christ or if you've been here for years and you've never trusted in Christ, uh, here's our ask. When the elements come by, don't partake because to partake is to declare you believe. If you're new with us and you've never, ever been to village, you don't know what we do in communion, here's what we have to say. It's an open table for anybody who believes in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. I don't care where you go to church. If you've trusted in Jesus, I want to invite you as a brother and sister in Christ. Would you partake of this with us as a symbol of our unity in Jesus Christ? So here's how we do things typically. We're going to have just a time of, of silence of reflection for you to talk to God, to listen, um, confess if needed. I'm going to pray, and uh, when I'm done praying, we're going to sing together as the ushers hand out elements. Would you do me a huge favor? Would you um, hold on to the elements until the end of the song, and then we're all going to partake at the end together. Sound good? Let's have a time of silence before the Lord.